Wa'amur bin ma'roof. Again, establish prayer and then change the world around you. So change yourself, but also change the world. You always see that in the Quran, this idea of yourself and the horizon. You know that it's not just about you. It also translates into how you interact, how you engage the world. So enjoying what is right. And be patient because if you do that, you're going to have problems. You're going to have difficulties. If you're out there in the world as a voice for truth, you're going to have trouble. It's going to be difficult. So be patient. What comes as an affliction to you because that's the nature of the world. And that is at the essence of this matter. It's about praying, commanding what's right, forbidding what's evil, and then being patient. Right? That's really at the root of this is patience. Now, if you're going to be out there doing this, don't turn your cheek in scorn to the people. In other words, don't become arrogant. Don't think because what you're doing is upright and righteous that that gives you a right to be arrogant towards people that aren't at your level of behavior or understanding. In other words, you have to go out there with compassion if you're going to change anything. You can't look at them with contempt. You have to look at them with the eye of rahmah, of mercy. And that's the way the Prophet ﷺ looked at the creation. And then, And don't walk with insolence. And it's very interesting how people walk. Because there's a type of walk that Allah hates, which is the walk of the, the arrogant. Ubbaha, the Arabs call it. Don't walk with insolence in the earth. The Quran says about the Ibad al-Rahman, They walk gently on the earth. They tread gently on the earth. Those are the people that don't disrupt things. Armies, you know, it's very interesting how armies march. It's not, marching is not walking lightly on the earth. That's an uh, innovation that came later, but the Sahaba didn't go around marching and, right? I mean, really, and goose-stepping and, I mean, that's... Insolence. I mean, look at goose stepping. What was that? Right? It's a very strange thing to do. But I mean, that's the point is don't do that because that's an indication of your heart. And the heart is an indication that you're arrogant. And arrogance is something that Allah hates. Walk lightly on the earth. You know, tread lightly on the earth. I mean, it's interesting, you know, when you cross a bridge in the army, they actually break the, uh, the march, right? Because during World War II, they had a group of people that marched across this bridge, and because they were in pace, the whole bridge collapsed. It's very interesting. And that's kind of, that's a metaphor for that type of marching. It's like, that's khasf, you know, that Allah can open up the earth to that type of insolence. Allah does not love arrogant boasters. وَقْصِدْ فِي مَشِيكَ Be modest in your walk. وَغْضُدْ مِنْ صَوْتِكَ Be gentle in your speech. Don't speak uh, harshly with people. إِنَّ أَنْكَرَ الْأَصْوَاتِ لَصَوْتِ الْحَمِيرِ The worst type of voice is the voice of the donkey. And that's the worst type of voice. And now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Adam Tarao and Allah Sakharalakum Mafid Ard Mafis Samawatu Mafid Ard. Haven't they seen that Allah has subjugated everything in the heavens and the earth? I mean, this is what they call the anthropic principle now. They actually recently started thinking of 
of the fact that the entire universe is designed for life just on this planet. I mean, that, that's an actual philosophical position now. And that's exactly what's being said here. Haven't they considered that the whole universe was designed for you to exist here in this funny small little corner of this vast universe? In order for life to be, exist here, everything has to be exactly where it is in the entire universe. Because if it shifted slightly, everything would shift. And he has showered you with his blessings inwardly and outwardly. In other words, things that you're aware of and things you're not even aware of. You don't even know. There's things right now you've got phagocytes in your body that are fighting foreign invaders. You're not even aware of it. You know, you, you've been exposed to some uh, virus or bacteria and your body's doing this uh, work and you're not even aware of it. I mean, it's a ni'mah from Allah and you're not even saying, thank you for these white blood cells that have emerged to protect my body from getting sick. We don't even think of, there's so many, and how many other things are we totally unaware of that are going on constantly? And that's what, that's what Allah is saying there. And from amongst people, there's people that argue about all of this without any knowledge. They're just going to argue with you. No, so I don't believe that. Well, what's the basis? I just don't believe it. They don't have, in other words, they're not arguing from, because see, the, even the atheist has to admit that he doesn't know. That's why the agnostic is really the only philosophically sound position. The atheist who says there's no God has no authority to say that in reality. He doesn't. It's just, it's a position he's decided to take, but it's a position of arrogance. Whereas the agnostic, he's saying, I don't know. It's a, a more honest position because he knows that the possibility is there, right? That, that I'm allowing for the possibility, but I don't know. So the idea of arguing against this is, is arrogant. That's what's being said, is that it's a position of arrogance. The best that you could say is, I don't know. It could be true. Everything you, you're saying, it could be true, but I don't know. But to say, no, I don't, this is not true. What, what's the basis of your foundation? I don't believe it. You know, the world's evil. Where did the evil come from? I mean, you, they can come, but it's in the end of the day, uh, the arguments uh, begin to fall short. It's not guidance. They're not doing it from knowledge. They're not doing it from guidance. And they're not doing it from some illuminating book. In other words, some source of revelation. I mean, this is always really interesting, is that one of the fascinating things about the Quran to me, and it differs from other books like this, is that it gives all of the possible objections that people have for the Qur'an in it. And I guarantee you, if you, if you look through the Qur'an at all the objections, you'll, you'll not hear original ones. Right? There's people that say like Patricia Crone, uh, who's a professor I think now at Princeton, uh, who wrote this book that the Qur'an is it's just fables. Well, I mean, the Qur'an says that. There are those who say this is just fables. The Qur'an says that. And then there's other people, you know, if you say, why aren't you following? No, I'm, I'm following, I'm, I'm this or I'm that. Well, where'd you get this or that from? From my parents. That's one reaction that people have is just, I'm following what I found my parents doing or, 
I'm going it on my own. Right? I did it my way. So uh, the reason that I wanted to do that is because this chapter, Luqman, is such an important chapter in terms of the relationship between the father uh, or the mother and the child and the relationship between the child and the parent. And in the end of the day, uh, we, we're all here because of two parents. I can guarantee that for everybody in the room, that everybody in here had a mother and a father. Even this modern manipulation of biology is still manipulating X and Y chromosomes and XX chromosomes. There, there's, there's no way that they can get around that uh, yet. I mean, there's a verse in the Quran that says, al-ula." You knew how we brought creation about the first time. Uh, Sheikh Abdullah bin Bayya said that that could be possibly an indication that there'll be other ways of doing it towards the end of time like cloning and things like that. So, I mean, that, that, the Qur'an doesn't even negate that. It actually says that there's the first way of doing it, and the first way usually indicates there's a second way. Now, in terms of children, parents, and marriage, because this generally for most Muslims, I mean, the Prophet ﷺ said, La rahbaniyata fil Islam. There's no monastic tradition in Islam. In other words, we don't believe that you can draw near to Allah through avoiding marriage. We don't believe that. That does not mean that you have to get married. Marriage is liman yaqduru alayhi nasal. I mean, normally that's how they do it. It's, it's considered the hukum of marriage, the ruling in Islam is that it's mandub, according to Imam Madik It's recommended. It's not a fard. It's recommended. Um, and there are many hadiths that encourage it. And it's definitely a sunnah. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ said, Man an sunnati faqad ba'a. The one that does not desire my sunnah rejects entering into paradise. Now, and, and he was referring specifically to marriage. So, but that has to do with the idea of not marrying for religious reasons. That we don't accept that idea. That I'm not marrying because I want to draw near to Allah. You actually draw near to Allah by getting married. And Ahmed ibn Hanbal, his wife, Umm Abdullah, died. And he, he only uh, waited one day before he remarried. And he was asked about it. He said, I, I didn't want to be a bachelor. Because it's the sunnah of the Prophet, he, he wanted to fulfill the sunnah. And one of the sahaba on his deathbed said, Zawijuni, zawijuni, la uridun al-qarabbi a'zab. You know, Marry me, somebody, marry me. I don't want to meet my Lord as a bachelor. Right? So those are indications that it's, it's an important thing. Now, I want to now just look at two hadiths. The first hadith is about men towards women, and the second one is about women towards men. The first hadith is from uh, Abu Huraira, and it's muttafaqun alayhi, which means it's related in Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim, which means it's the soundest form of hadith outside of what's called mutawatir, uh, which is multiply transmitted to the point where it's impossible that it could have been uh, a lie or some mistake in it. Uh, and this hadith says, A woman is married for four reasons. The first reason is wealth. So there are people that marry 
for wealth. And very common. Wealthy people tend to like to marry wealthy people. And there's a number of reasons for that. And that's certainly acceptable in Islam. There's nothing against that. I mean, it's just an acceptable thing. It's not encouraged or anything, but it's acceptable. And some of the ulama consider, scholars consider, that wealth is a type of kafa'a, that it's good for somebody from one socioeconomic class to marry somebody from a similar socioeconomic class because uh, if somebody was raised with a certain level uh, of opulence or a certain level of standard of living and then they marry considerably under that, that can be quite traumatic for that person uh, and it can lead to problems. And that often happens when people marry for love uh, like a romantic type of love. Uh, so wealth generally in Islam is property and liquid assets and liquidity that you have capital. I mean, that's wealth. And uh, from, from an Islamic point of view, you know, rich, most of us would be considered rich in Islam. Uh, if you have a house, if you have a car, uh, if you have money, uh, if you can buy pretty much what you need and what you want, then in Sharia, you're ghani. That's wealthy. I mean, poor people are people that literally hand to mouth in Islam. I mean, that, that is poverty. There's two types of poverty, the maskana and faqar. Miskeen, uh, faqir is somebody that... I mean, there's a difference of opinion between Shafi and Maliki, but a faqir is somebody who has a year's supply of provision and a miskeen doesn't even have their day's supply because the Quran says Allah mentions the faqir and then the miskeen and, and the opposite version is that the faqir uh, is the one that doesn't have uh, a day's supply and the miskeen has a year and the proof of Imam uh, Shafi'i was the boat in Surah Al-Kahf was owned by Masakin. So to have a boat is to have something. <laughs>